This is episode number 50 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And today, we're so excited to have two special guests return to the podcast to discuss the topic of plus-size pregnancy. Previously, we had Bianca and Natasha on to share their expertise surrounding doula care and training doulas internationally through their company, Babelmia. If you missed that episode, head to tobirthandbeyond.com or iTunes or Stitcher and look up episode 24. So for those who don't know Bianca and Natasha, just a brief intro to them. Uh, Bianca Sprague, who's the CEO of Babomia Inc. and Baby and Me Fitness, is a badass queer entrepreneur and mom to Graydon. She lives in Toronto and co-parents with her partner, Alana. Bianca feels especially passionate about creating access to quality pre- and postnatal care for marginalized communities. And Natasha Marchand, who's COO of Babomia Inc. and Baby and Me Fitness, is a super talented creative genius that turned her passion for babies and fitness into a lifelong career. She lives in Toronto with her husband, Chris, and two daughters, Sadie and Margot. Natasha is a pre- and postnatal fitness professional and birth doula. After a long fertility journey with her first daughter, Natasha has positioned herself as a fertility expert. So thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. We have so many topics we want to talk to you two about, so we're really excited that you get to share your expertise in this one. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So what made you look more into plus-size pregnancy? Around last, was it last year or the spring before? Two springs ago. ago. (laughs) Two springs ago, we had started doing the... um, the creation of our diverse family certification. And at the time I was six months pregnant or seven months pregnant with my now one-year-old and I'm in a plus size body. And it just, everything that uh, our Olivia, who was the facilitator of this program was talking about around different bodies and different skin color and all of the, all of the problems and issues and obstacles that come with this um, just kind of really hit home with me. And so I was really lucky because I had been on this, you know, positive BOPO journey (laughs) leading up to it. And I had hired a midwife and luckily, um, like being in a plus size body didn't matter at all through my whole pregnancy and my birth. Um, But I know that there's people out there who are struggling with care providers who aren't taking, you know, issues and things that come up seriously for their clients. And so it just became like something we we're very passionate about as we move forward. And from then on, like, I think we've done like Um, a lot of speaking around this topic and it's, it's a really important topic for us. I also think I would like jump in and speak for Natasha here. Um, (laughs) 
I think Tash also did a really amazing job historically. Like she's been a fitness instructor for over 12 years, um, pre and postnatal. And um, I think that you've always really honored like all bodies and health and exercise. Like that's been like just part of, I know that we got like really on our soapbox about it in the last two to three years, but um, this has been something that Natasha has been a, a really passionate advocate for as a fitness instructor and getting all bodies ready for pregnancy and birth and honoring that postpartum journey of like loving your body instead of making it about weight loss. So I would say I'm going to speak for you there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can don't, if you're gonna say nice things, you can you can speak for. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's allowed. That's allowed. I am so glad we're having this conversation. I have tons of questions. First of all, what is even considered plus size, and is that the same <laughs> in pregnancy? And then part two of this question: What is the average size of a woman identifying person in North America? Well, we. I mean, yeah. it's always done by the BMI, which is like the body mass index scale. And it is such a flawed scale because it just takes two measurements, your height and your weight. Mm -hmm. And that, and then spits out a number. And then we look at those numbers as if they're an indicator of health and ability. And like when there's so much variation, like muscle weighs more than fat and height makes a difference. Everything, and... ethnicity, your health history, like it totally. doesn't even say you know, do you work out three times a week? <laughs> you know, it's just like, you, how old are you? <laughs> you know, what's your fitness level? Like none of that stuff. Um, and so what they're looking at um, is an overweight person would be a body mass index of 25 plus. Like that's the number it spits out. Mm -hmm. um, so normal weight is between 19 and 24. But the average person or the average um, woman identifying person, according to the Center for Disease Control, is about five, five foot four and 168 pounds so that would put that person in the overweight ca category so the average person is overweight as we move into pregnancy anyway um and so this is where it becomes a really big pro problem right because one the 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 bmi scale is a very flawed system and number two many of us are going to be categorized as overweight and many of us are going to be seen as um, a high-risk pregnancy. Yeah, the care will change dramatically. And interestingly, there's a lot of people that, aren't, we're talking about plus size, but there's also a lot of people that fall in the underweight category going into their pregnancy, which means that normal window, which I'm putting in air quotes because, come on. Um, and that normal window, I believe, is only 18% of people who are pregnant would fall into yeah, the, so the quote-unquote healthy range. There's the healthy range which you want to you want to gain, and only 17% of people are able to stay within that range. Yeah, but even going into pregnancy, because so many bodies are either considered underweight, and then the majority of women-identified people are considered overweight, if not obese or extremely obese. So it's like this window is just like whose bodies are fitting into this. Mm -hmm. Well, Very cute. <laughs> less than 17 <laughs> percent yeah. like, very few people yeah oh my goodness and it's what that brought up for me as you we were speaking was I just can only begin to imagine the difference of uh, care or mindset and perspective that medical providers do have if they have an underweight body versus an overweight body in their pregnant practice and secondly, I'm interested, do we call this a fat pregnancy ever? Do we talk about 
fat pregnant bodies or do we use the term plus size pregnancy? Is that considered to be um, like the term that we should use? It really depends. Like a lot of people call like it really depends on the person. So I'm okay. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm okay if somebody calls me plus size. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally okay if somebody calls me fat, mm-hmm. right? So, but then there are other people out there who really want to reclaim that word and use that word. And so for us as healthcare professionals, I would prefer to use any language that my client wants to use. But when you're talking about going to an OB or going to midwives, then that's where things like fat shaming can happen, where they do say things like, if you're a plus size body, you might have a fat vagina, which means the baby can't come out. And like, that is legitimately something that people say. Um, so that doesn't take into account whether or not I prefer to be like nobody. I, I don't imagine anybody wants to refer to their vagina as fat. You're like, can we just take a moment for that? And their fat vagina. Yeah. I'm yes. just, wow. Because they're like, well, <laughs> like, your body's fat. So your vagina is yeah. probably fat. And we're like, what? What? Yeah, I haven't heard that from clients. Really, that's what you've heard. Is it from your doula clients or like in general that you've heard that term being used? From doula clients. Doula clients, yeah. Like, you know, it and it really depends, right? I don't imagine that there are a lot of OBs who will say things like, you're fat, but they might say things like, you need to lose this much weight. And, and like the shame would come in a different way. Like more in a like, you need, yeah, you need to yeah. do this in this way. I mean, I can't speak for all OBs and midwives, but... Um, it can be a really big challenge. The language that they use is, can be very disrespectful and hurtful and shamey. And I mean, I think it's about the reclaiming the language, right? Like, so there's people that would be overweight or plus size, or they'd like bigger bodies or like bigger frame, larger, like and there's a whole bunch of words. And I know some people can find like plus size is an implication without being direct. And it's actually can be more offensive because we're like, well, what are you talking about? Like kind of like skirting around something and who counts as plus size like it's ambiguous um so i think it's really up to each person what they feel comfortable with and and making sure the language is not like as a care provider or doulas or you know fitness instructors that we are using the language that they want that we can be a safe space because they're care providers ob's doctors midwives usually it's filled with microaggressions and a lot of shame what would you say what are some common myths surrounding plus size pregnancy there's so many, but the, you know, the biggest one, and I think a lot of people who are pregnant and are plus size, this is a worry that they have because the myth is so common is that, you know, if you're an overweight person, you know, when you're looking at BMI scale, that your your risk of gestational diabetes is high. And that is true. Like it's not high, but it, it is higher, but it's almost like a myth that if you're overweight or plus size, you are going to have gestational diabetes or you are going to be high risk or you are going to need a cesarean or you won't be fit enough to labor. Um, all of those things are myths that are out there when really the the risk of, of gestational diabetes only goes up by a little bit where it's like 6% for the overweight category and percent for the overweight category. So you still have 87% chance of not having gestational yeah. diabetes. And that's never talked about. And all these things don't take into account the person's like level of health and fitness. So it's that health at every size. Because yes, there are some people who are overweight, won't be able to labor effectively because 
whatever their reason. And there's also people that are underweight and there's also people that would fall in the quote unquote normal that will also not be fit enough or unable or they'll have gestational diabetes or they'll need an operative birth. So like, but it can't be the indicator because you walk in and look at a body. This is one point that I was thinking a lot about too and it's something that you mentioned. A lot of these common myths surrounding plus size pregnancy are talking about the higher risk of whatever it may be. But I always think that this is so interesting that we always hear, oh, higher risk of this, higher risk of that. But how much higher is the actual risk of these things that we're talking about? Well, that's another thing that happens a lot as well is a healthcare provider will come at um, an obstacle or something like gestational diabetes and say, you know, okay, you're in the obese category. What that means for you is that your risk of gestational diabetes doubles. But what they're not saying is that the risk is going from you know six or seven percent to thirteen or fourteen percent, not you know when you say double it, it sounds scary and almost like for sure you're going to get gestational diabetes. But again, um, it's only going up by six percent. And what we do know is that there's so much that can happen, or so much we can do to lower our risk during pregnancy for gestational diabetes. And every single body is at risk for diabetes. You know, it it, it happens in every body. Um, even if they're in the healthy range. And so we do know that for every person, even just walking three days a week can lower the risk of gestational diabetes by, our, I think it's around 34, 35%. Um, so that's a big deal. It is. It really is a big deal. And I think it's um, yeah, it's so important that we have the knowledge and the education and the evidence-based information about, about these risk factors. I think this is going to be a massive answer and there's so many layers here, but I want to know what are some of the issues that may come up with a care provider that can interfere with prenatal care and birth preferences for an expecting person who is considered plus size? Well, I think like we talked about, I mean, Tash will have some of the like nitty gritty stats around that, but I think just generally the belief we have in our fat phobic medical culture that people are going in and they're they're experiencing these barriers that are in addition to the experience that they're having as a pregnant person. So already like every, well, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but most pregnant people are like worrying about their baby and what's their birth going to be like and what's their partner going to be like if they have a partner and like what, you know, all the things that you stress about when you're pregnant. And now you have this extra layer of um, like management because of how you're being received uh, based on the body you're in. So even just like like little things like having a blood pressure cuff that can fit you in your doctor's office, if you walked in and and the cuff didn't fit you, like that would already be a whole layer of an experience that's like a very negative one when you're just going in for your routine blood pressure. Um, so we have this like, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's this- Yeah, it's just, you know, uh, being inclusive as a healthcare practitioner and having chairs that people can sit in and gowns that people can wear yeah. um, and heart rate monitors that pick up the baby's heart rate and all of these things um, that people of like quote unquote normal size don't have to even think about during their pregnancy. Um, so those are like some big barriers right there. And then when you look at other things like um, something that happens typically in a fat phobic society is... Um, everything that happens to you, everything that's wrong with you is because of your weight. So you might go in and say, you know, my back is hurting for this reason. And the answer would be like, well, if you just lost weight, that wouldn't happen. But then they're not, you know, 
there could be something underlying there that we're not looking at. Um, where if somebody was, a, again, quote unquote, normal weight, you'd be like, okay, let's look into that. And then you'd realize, oh, they're in early labor. Yeah. You know, do you see the difference? And those are, or those they have are a obstacles. UTI or they yeah. have like, yeah, all like so many things that would have the experience of like these symptoms, but we just always bring it back. Like it's about the weight. If you weren't overweight, you wouldn't have this. If like as an explanation and then the care becomes subpar because they might be missing things that they wouldn't miss in another body. Yeah. And then obviously the, the, just the label of being high risk because you're overweight when really being overweight isn't a risk factor in in of itself. Like you really do have to do these tests to see what's coming up and seeing if, yeah, are these people high risk for, for any of these things like preeclampsia? Um, so being labeled high risk automatically is going to move you towards the, the, you know, the conveyor belt of intervention, right? Like, so starting with, um, typically an induction for big baby is something you're going to see a lot when we're talking about plus size bodies. Um, and that's a barrier. A lot of people who are plus size are worried about the size of their baby because we've been trained um, as a society that big women have big babies. Um, Which is so not true. I just had a client who was induced and she didn't want it. Like she was like, this is my second. I really don't want this. And she got induced because she was considered plus size with gestational diabetes and her baby was six pounds. Yeah. And that, those are the things that are coming up. And then again, we've got a bigger baby. Okay. We have a bigger baby. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> the baby's going to be born. Right. So what are the real risk factors? So one of the big things is that they're worried about shoulder dystocia. Um, but all the studies like shoulder, shoulder dystocia would be a baby who kind of gets stuck with their shoulder during birth. And that's one of the big risks uh, people talk about of having a baby. But one thing we do know is that maternal obesity is and not an independent risk for um, shoulder dystocia. So you should never be inducing people for big baby in risk of shoulder dystocia, shoulder dystocia just because they're in a bigger body. There needs to be other risk factors involved. And that's something that people need to know. Yes. I just want to add in here too, as we're talking about this, and then if we layer on other factors and a big one could be race and specifically black bodies, black pregnant people. I can only, I mean, I cannot even imagine then the other issues that can come up with care providers in these instances. Oh yeah. If you layer any other, um, like any other factors of or marginalized communities that people might identify with, like if this was a trans body or an indigenous body in Canada or a, you know, black body or, you know, poverty, like list any other, you know, social factors, um, you just, the care just drops dramatically from there. And you mentioned in terms of um, induction, for example, being one of the ways that kind of a plus size pregnancy would be managed. Are there other um, ways that you've, you've seen as a doula or that you see in terms of the evidence that um, plus size people experience kind of if they weren't considered plus size, their birth wouldn't be managed this way? Well, I think this sometimes there's the jump right to an operative birth that wouldn't happen I, again, unless it's the birther's preference, which it is for some people. Um, but I, th I would say way more often that they like, they start in prenatals being like, you know what, we're going to see how we go. Like that starts at, you know, week 32, like, we'll we'll see how we go, but like, let's, let's book an, you know, your C-section date. We'll see what happens. So it's already like 
will humor you and you can attempt a vaginal delivery, but it's probably not going to happen. So let's get our head around that this is an operative birth. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's the language that's being used all the way through the pregnancy, and we know that's gonna that's gonna change the outcome, right? Like, um, I know lots of plus size people who have gone through birth, like have natural not not that natural is the only way to go, right? But they've had the birth that they wanted because their healthcare providers were okay. Like they they didn't have this language going through birth. They they fed them confidence and love and ex- excitement over the birth and they had a birth without like not even you know the plus size didn't even come up and that's possible. Um but if somebody's telling you through your whole pregnancy, you know what this might not happen for you or yeah. you know saying like you know everybody that I work with who's plus size, you know, they all have cesareans. Like that language is it's just shutting the door. I don't have the numbers, but I feel like there is research to show that if a care provider um, does feel or vocalizes that they feel the birth will end in a cesarean, it actually increases the likelihood of that happening. Have you read that or have you heard that? Oh yeah, it's so powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just even anecdotally, we just know, we just know as, as doulas that when a healthcare provider comes in, with their authority and the way that we we are biased to look at a, an OB, um, when they say, you know, this is looking like a cesarean, we know. Yeah. Like, we know where we're headed now. Um, and, you know, we do what we can to, like, keep positivity in the room. But um, once that seed is set, you know, we're as when you're going through birth, everything that someone says to you sinks in so deep to your subconscious, right? And, and especially people like OBs who we've been trained to see as someone with authority, um, when they say something, it sticks. Absolutely. That trust factor is massive. Also interested in VBACs with plus size pregnancy. I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have seen this and probably again, um, a lesser chance of this occurring. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have any studies on that, but I should I should look them up for you. I mean, V-backs um, are hard to get, period. Yeah. <laughs> They're harder to get, period, and I think in a plus-size body, it would be even harder. But then again, you can watch, like, you can go on YouTube and watch tons of videos of V-backs that are people of all body sizes that, that show, like, you know, I was told I was too small to give birth to this big baby, and so their first birth was a cesarean, and the baby was seven pounds, and then their second birth was a vaginal birth, and their baby was like eight and a half pounds or nine pounds. Yeah. So their body was obviously able to do it, right? It's just um, the people around them weren't supportive enough for their body to do it. I'm also wondering in your doula work, are your plus-size pregnant clients counseled on losing weight d- during pregnancy ever? Yeah, yeah, a lot of them are, are you know, um, sent off to the, the higher risk clinic where they're taught nutrition and how to eat during their pregnancy. And um, it is a lot of work for our clients. Like it's a lot of extra appointments and a lot of work for them to go through. This is typically with people who who have been tested positive for gestational diabetes, though. Um, I think without that positive test, I, I don't think I've had any of my clients go through the nutrition clinic. Um, I have when we're working with social programs. So like when I worked with public health, they, they do build in the nutrition component for um, plus size pregnant people that I've worked with. Uh, but that was like all part of their social program packaging. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't think I. I mean, they. I've had my clients say you need to lose weight, um, but it's typical that when you're pregnant, a plus size body will will actually lose weight in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like that's a you know usually just an inherent thing that happens because you know well, lots of reasons. Well, yeah, I think um, pregnancy is a really it's a typical time for people to say, you know what, I really want to take better care of myself yeah. and take care. And that's not to say that people who are, are, are plus size aren't taking care of themselves. I just mean any body. Yeah. Um, they're like, okay, I want to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables for the baby. And I want to exercise a little bit more for the baby. Like this is for me as a fitness instructor, that's when I started to get like, people would come to my yoga class and my fitness class like, never have done never it. worked out <laughs> ever. Right. But they're doing it cause they're pregnant. And so you will, Will typically see that there are people who who go into pregnancy and they are in better shape by the end of their pregnancy. Yeah, this is so true. I'm also just thinking that I've definitely had fitness clients who have been considered plus size and their care provider will give them very strict pregnancy weight gain goals. And this can bring up a lot of stuff, a lot of stress, um, heightened preoccupation with one's body, which happens in pregnancy anyways, but just this can take it to another level. And I've seen it be absolutely damaging to someone's mental and emotional health. Have you seen this with any of your clients as well? Oh, it's all of them. Oh, yeah, so many. It's, it's everyone. Even people of, you know, quote unquote, normal size are being asked to stay within this range. And like I said earlier, only 17% of people are able to do it. And so for me, myself, I'm a fitness instructor with my first pregnancy, I was teaching like three or four fitness classes a day. I was eating extremely well. And I gained closer to 60 pounds. And I had just a six pound baby, right? But I gained a ton of weight and I worked really hard at it. What did Chris say? You look pregnant in your yeah, arms. Yeah, he said, my, my <laughs> husband said, I look pregnant in my arms. <laughs> um, that's another big thing with plus size pregnancy too, is that um, it's harder to see like a that bump that you see like on TV, you know, that beautiful, yes. you know, it takes a while. And sometimes it doesn't look like you imagine your baby bump to look like, right? So you he told the, me, I'll, the you, get the, you get the pregnant arm. Um, We're laughing now. I was really <laughs> mad. <laughs> it's fine. I've done a lot of positivity work since then. Um, but yeah, I'm saying like I was as healthy as I think a person could really typically be. Yeah. And I still gained 60 pounds. So everybody just has to, you know, do what they feel is right in their life, eat healthy when they can, exercise when they can, allow themselves some treats so that their whole life isn't like a stress pot. <laughs> That's not good on pregnancy either, right? And and um, and your body will do what it does during pregnancy. And I mean, the positive thing is whatever you're putting in your body, your, your, the fetus is going to like leach whatever was good in it. And then there's a lot of privilege in this like expectation of how somebody's going to be able to eat and work out in pregnancy like eating fruits and vegetables and going to a prenatal yoga class is a is a privilege that a lot of people probably the majority of North Americans actually can't afford to do um so it's also about like just being like you know what can you do with your mindset how can you increase your water intake could you go for a walk because for some people it's not an option to like not eat fast food because that's that's the most affordable food um like a happy meal is the most affordable food relative to a quinoa salad with like a side of broccoli like that's just not possible for everybody 
so it all it is really important because um you know our practitioners are going to be working with a whole range of socioeconomic status and so there's that layer of um when people are poor um that that is like a whole other point of shame in their care because they can't do prenatal yoga or they can't do prenatal aquafit or they can't eat fresh fruits and vegetables because that's really expensive to eat that way um so i find that it's it can be really stressful for our clients who you know can't afford to make those choices because they already feel like they're failing as a parent absolutely thank you so much for bringing that up how can someone considered plus size find support in a birth setting this is a big thing for anybody who's pregnant, but especially for a plus size person is being able to find a healthcare provider that respects them and their body autonomy and cares for them and respects their choices um, and sees them as an able-bodied person that can give birth just like anyone else. And that's a really important thing. They need to have confidence in you, in your body. So if you're going to your prenatal appointments and you're at week 20 or whatever, and you bring up something you want during your birth and they're like, oh, you know, oh, honey, that doesn't happen for plus size women, you know, or whatever it is, you need somebody else. You just, you need to build a team around you of people who trust you and your body. Your body should not be anything that you're thinking of um, during your birth. Um, and there's some groups too for um, plus size or some actually are saying like for fat moms. Um, that's what like the groups are called. And you can check it out. And if you are in a plus size body that you can ask, say, I live in this area. Has anyone worked with this person? And this is the birth I want. So I'm really wanting a, you know, um, a, a, a vaginal birth with an epidural. How do I get that? Is there a practitioner in Atlanta that can support me in that? And and like ask other people about um, what they have experienced working with these practitioners because some people will be like, oh, they're amazing, but like they might have done a really positive C-section experience. And if that's not the birth plan that you want, then that's not going to be the best provider for you. Um, so like doing some market research is really important. Yeah, staying away from people that are shaming you in any way and building a team that really supports you. Um, and that includes having, you know, other people in your life who have gone through it and and had the birth that, you know, you're hoping for or striving for. Have you, have either of you seen with your doula clients, clients change care providers or like have you witnessed clients not being supported and kind of how you played a role as a doula within that? Yes, it's all, yes. it's all, yeah, yeah, <laughs> both things. Yeah, we've seen it all. <laughs> um, yeah, we've seen clients, absolutely. Uh, it's so hard, you know, we expect as people that we, when we go to see our doctor, that we are going to be respected, right? And and you want to believe that you're in safe hands, right? So it does take a lot of strength to yeah. make the decision to change your healthcare provider. Um, so not everybody does it. Like we will absolutely have clients that are like my, you know, my OB said this, but I think that they're right. Like I should probably listen. Yeah. Um, and that's also their choice. And people get so nervous about like breaking up with their care provider. Like I remember somebody was like, well, I should, I just like get a new care provider and have them fax the request for my file. And I'm like, Oh, just, just tell them you want a new care provider. Like, but it's, it's surprising how much stress and anxiety, like people are like, I don't want their hands on me. I don't like how they speak to me or I don't like, you know, I feel like they're racist or I feel like they're homophobic and fatphobic. But this like, ooh, but what's going to happen if I break up with them? 
it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, I would really highly recommend that anybody who's plus size to when you know, we always counsel our clients to do a birth plan or birth preferences, like things that they would want best case scenario. And I think that that should be something talked about early on in pregnancy so that there's still time to find a because it's going to be harder the further along you get in your pregnancy. So um, finding out if somebody respects your wishes early on is going to be really important. And would you say, um, aside from what you were just mentioning about someone talking to a care provider about kind of their birth preferences, are there any other specific questions that they should ask? Like, would you recommend asking about, I guess, certain stats um, in regards to uh, plus size births that their care provider has already attended, like the likelihood that it will end in a cesarean or, or their opinions on that kind of thing? I would really just come straight to the point and ask, how does your care change for somebody who's plus size? And be armed with the information. So Cochrane Review has like awesome Cochrane reviewed studies around gestational diabetes or, or big babies or um, like really understanding sh- shoulder dystocia, preeclampsia. And I know this is so much work and it sucks that we have to do this work to protect our bodies and our healthcare system. And like, here we are. Um, so, but evidence-based birth is a really great resource because it's all really easy to read and it's got really great studies for parents that talks about everything we talked about. And so they can go in being like, actually ACOG, which is the governing body for the States for obstetrics and gynecology or the SOGC, like these are the actual numbers around it. Or this is what the world health organization is saying. Can you speak to this? If they're giving information that is not reflected in that. And we've had doctors just like straight say those things are wrong. And we're like, but the World Health Organization, and they're like, that's wrong. It's like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. It's the biggest governing body in the world. Like, it's the World Health Organization. And they're like, yeah, they just, it's wrong. Those, those numbers are wrong. So in that case, I, I would advise, like, well, I don't tell my clients to do anything. It's up to them what they want to do. But I always just say it is an option that you can get a different care provider. And midwifery care tends to be um, a little bit better around this. Like, I don't want to generalize because you're still going to find midwives who um, do more medicalized care. Um, but you know, I would say that a you're gonna better, you're you're, yeah. you're gonna find an easier time. Like, for example, my midwife, I just let her know. Like, I don't know want to I don't want to know how heavy I am. I don't want to know my weight um, because I have like I go into a slippery slope of obsessing over food and exercise. And I don't want to do that for my pregnancy. So I said, I never want to know um, how much I weigh. And she never, ever told me she covered all of my papers with um, like, with like just blotted out the part where it said weight. And I went through my whole pregnancy, never knowing how much I gained or lost or anything like my second pregnancy (laughs) 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 when I learned better. (laughs) Yes, I, uh, yeah, same situation with me. I had no idea for both pregnancies how much I gained or lost, and I, it's just a different mindset for a lot of people around those numbers. I think it's such a great point you all made about how this can be so much extra work for the pregnant person. Oh, so much. Yeah, considering all the mental load of pregnancy just to begin with, and then all these other factors, that is huge. I think if you could just wrap it up for us, especially for Anita and myself and those who are listening who are fitness and health professionals, how can we better support expecting people who are considered plus size during pregnancy and birth? 
One thing we haven't mentioned at all is the importance of hiring a doula. <laughs> and since we're doulas, I'm just going to plug that right now. So <laughs> if, if When we talk about building a, a team around you of people who support you, a doula should be part of that. Um, if if need be, you could also, there are doulas who work specifically with, with plus size bodies um, or are plus size themselves. So understand um, the work that needs to be done as you're trying to find healthcare providers or OBs or midwives that work for you. I think that's really important. Um, as an instructor, I think the biggest thing is that when we talk about bodies, um, we just really do it in a really open way. You know, talking about things that their bodies are doing. Like how cool is it this month, you know, if everyone in your class is like four months or six months, whatever, like your baby can hear now, how cool is it? Like we're talking about what the body can do rather than what the body can't do. I think that's really important for people to see. Like you grew eyeballs. You grew week. eyeballs. Like, you know, <laughs> like all this stuff. So sometimes when we're talking about plus size bodies, we're talking about the fact um, that they you know, aren't able to go to yoga classes or, you know, we're always talking about the things that their body can't do. They can't give birth vaginally. They can't make these changes, you know, all of this stuff, which are all wrong. Oh, they're all biases, of course. <laughs> um, but wouldn't it be so nice to talk about what our bodies can do when they come into the room and have like be a refreshing place for them to come into and be like, you know, my body isn't an issue here. And I think also being a resource where you know, like what baby carriers are, are great for a plus size body or what nursing bras are going to go up to larger sizes. Um, Cause I know I get a lot of those questions from my clients who are plus size, like things that you don't really think about because you just are like, Oh, I really like the ergo and the, the chimperoo wraps. And those might not go to a size that are big enough for some of your, for your clients or, you know, just people in your community that are asking you. So having those resources at your fingertips where you can find um, gowns that they could buy for the hospital or their home births or, you know, nursing bras, slings, I'm trying to think of other ones, but like things that are going to work that a, a plus size body might need a little bit of variability around. So thank you so much, Bianca and Natasha, for sharing your amazing knowledge again with um, with Jess and I and with our listeners, we know this topic was something that we've wanted to talk about for a while. Um, and we do talk about uh, topics around fat phobia um, and body image. So I'm so glad that uh, you got to share this information and we'll be sure to include any links um, that you feel would be helpful for our listeners in our show notes. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank for having so us much. again. We hope we can return. <laughs> Give us another topic. <laughs> ah, we'd love to. Thank you. On the next episode of To Birth and Beyond, we have our friend Allison Tenney, an incredible fitness coach. We speak with Allison about empowerment and creating community. And we think critically about these ideas and who we're including and who we're excluding when we talk about these topics, specifically in the realm of fitness, health, and wellness. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 